was it that I just needed to do?
the ceiling where is it? Come on. Um, the host isn't there or something. Okay, we'll, uh, okay, good morning, everybody. I think that we'll actually um, start on time, start on time today. Uh, this is the share on emerging technologies uh, dealing specifically with Zoom. Um, it's going to be primarily, uh, primarily a halachic share. And we'll we'll do sources inside. Uh, we're going to at least do a series of Chavot Rav Moshe that um, I wrote about last week. I want to do them in depth, and if we have time, we'll get to uh, some of the uh, recent um, conversations about Zoom Minyanim. And I hope that some of the theoretical ideas will be uh, will be picked up as well in the Mitzvah Shabbat year. Uh, Halachic man enters the matrix. Um, the right, so we have remaining are is a 9 p.m. shear tonight on can how parentheses can can halacha change? Uh, the most and the Friday after Friday morning shear on Shabbos thickness and the most a Shabbat shear on halachic man enters the matrix. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and we're going to, um, I hope I hope to find a schedule for next week sometime, uh, sometime soon. I'm hoping that we'll address issues. Uh, associated with the uh, labor labor ethics, uh, the challenge is that uh, I just have to make sure I can prepare enough uh, to pull it off. So I hope that the share will be. Uh, hope that the schedule will be out tomorrow. Okay. Um, so today, let's. I'm going to start. I'm going to share the uh, source sheet now. Okay. Um, what I want to, I guess, begin by saying is that there are dramatic differences between. The um, the question of um, the question of CRISPR, which we talked about yesterday, and Zoom, in that CRISPR we're dealing with issues about um, human power, um, and we have capacities that matter a great deal in the world, that force us to think about ethics and issues like that right anew. Uh, whereas Zoom is in large measure a, a reflection of the general challenges created by electrical technology and the capacity for reproduction. It does raise issues in terms of community and issues like that, but fundamentally the challenges are, assist, are, are, are extensions of existing capacities. And it's really not so hard as opposed to CRISPR. It's not so hard to find precedents um, or to make analogies. Uh, the, but the, the real issue is that halakha as a whole um, I think we've done, you know, in many ways, we've done an amazing job in dealing with bioethics challenges. Even if I think that in that many of the immediate responses were excellent, but not necessarily correct, uh, or and they need to be rethought uh, dramatically. But we really, I think, did a, um, I think Rabbi Bleich, Rabbi Tendler, Rabbi Jacobowitz, right? There's a whole group of of halachists who deserve enormous credit for creating halacha um, from scratch in response to a radically New field and convincingly creating something that looks like halakha. Uh, whereas in terms of electricity, we have in large measure just failed. Um, halakha has still not really um, accounted for the uh, capacities of, um, of electrical technology. And so Zoom, we'll see, is largely a function of our, the, the challenges of Zoom in many ways are a function of our failures to um, to deal with the to deal with it in the past um, so you'll see you know, we'll see we'll see we'll see how the the approach is mentioned like we're not there 
we're not going to use natural law approaches for Zoom, right? You know, huge, huge types of approaches. And I think mostly we're not even going to use huge sweeping, um, sweeping shifts. Really, just the question is how much of halacha can, this technical halacha, can we create an area where the precedents uh, are not, where the precedents can only be extended by an analogy with, and the differences are obvious. Okay, let's take a look. Um, so we're going to start with uh, Mishnah Rosh Hashanah. And Mishnah Rosh Hashanah says, if you, if you blow shofar into a pit, which is some kind of, um, art, uh, some kind of um, ground-based thing with walls, or you know, some kind of uh, uh, pottery, giant pottery item, if you hear the call of the shofar, you're yotze. But if you hear something called the kol havara, which I'd rather not define, lo yatsa, right? then you have not fulfilled your obligation. Okay, Lechet Shlomo and Rosh Hashanah offers a summary of the two, of two fundamental positions about the halacha, the halacha of this Mishnah. So the Rush says, you said if I hear a kol shofar, I'm yotze, and I hear a kol havara, I'm not yotze. Well, how do I know whether I heard a kol shofar? Or a kol havara, um, and he says the lo mistaber shetahei talui behavchanat adam. Right? It doesn't make sense to him that it should be dependent on human perception, whether it is a kol shofar or a uh, or or a kol havara, uh, right? Because that really should right, really you tell me that you know that you that you have to listen because sometimes the sound coming out of the pit is the shofar and sometimes the havara. That's a that should be a technical thing. Right, so I think so. He thinks the, right, so. He thinks that the um, the right explanation, uh, right, the, the right, the right, the right explanation, is um, that uh, right is that if you hear right, and this is based on the Gemara. We're not going to talk about the interpretation of the Gemara. when they said that if you hear the kol the kol that you're not that you're not yodse, that's talking about those people on the the edge of the pit outside outside the pit. They're never yotze. They're never yotze. They only hear the kol havara. Okay, so the rush says we're not going to leave it up to we're not going to leave it up to human determination to decide whether it's a kol havara or not. We're going to tell you that it depends on where you're standing. Um, whereas the Beis Yosef says, That's what the rush wrote. The Beis Yosef writes, it seems to me that anybody can hear the difference. Okay, so what's the fundamental argument in the Beis Yosef and the Rush? So I want to contend that uh, probably they reflect a basic question, which is, what's the problem with a kol havara? So one possibility is that the kol havara is not the kol shofar. It just isn't. Right? The issue is, what is it or what is it? And the other possibility is that it's not a, it's not a kol shofar because it doesn't sound like one. It's been altered. And, and so really, in one position, as long as it sounds like the shofar, we don't really care what produced it. And in the other position, what matters to us is whether it sounds like the shofar. Okay, right? Now, you, there, you could deny this and you could say, no, as long as it sounds like the shofar, we know that it is the shofar. But that seems implausible because you're blowing into a pit, so you know there are going to be echoes. Uh, right? So the question is really going to be, right? some people say that I think the easiest way of understanding it is some people think an echo is kosher as long as it's a clear echo. And some people say that, in ec- that, um, that, the, um, that, the, that the issue is whether it's an echo or not. If you define it by where you are, 
it's a question to find whether it's an echo or not. And if you define it, and if you think, if you think you can hear the difference, then it's a, a function of whether it sounds like a shofar. Okay. Um, let's see how Rav Moshe Feinstein addressed the um, applied this to the modern question of electronic amplification. Like electronic amplification, you could right, you could say is just an echo, and there, right, you know, and you could imagine you know a mechanical megaphone, which is just a way of uh, right, like you know, like an ear trumpet, right? It's just a way of um, of causing the same sound waves to reverberate. Uh, but really, you have right, and you have electricity, which seems to involve some kind of transformation of your voice into some other medium. And then you can decide how, how sophisticated you have to be. And that's one of the issues we have to address is how good an idea is it for halacha to be based on technological expertise. Uh, so Moshe says the following. This is his first shiva, and uh, this is undated, but we know from the next shiva that it must be sometime, uh, it must be sometime before uh, 1950, I believe. So, Bekriyas HaMegillah uh, Olidei Microphone. What about reading the Megillah? Right? It's before the next shiva. That's, that's all we know right now. The creates a Megillah al microphone um, to his his uh, friend Rabbi Chayev Dov Ginsburg. He says the following: He named for creates Megillah al microphone. Kashela mar bezeh halacha brura. It's very difficult to say clear halacha about this. Kilonis barer karaui ech nishmal yideze al yidei anashim haraui lismoch alahem. So here, Moshe raises a bunch of really important issues. So first of all, he says, I don't want to say clear halacha. Because not everything is clear yet, so that's a um, the idea that an issue is not yet ripe for um, ripe for judgment is uh, a really important idea that I think is not sufficiently uh, considered in in halacha. Maybe there are issues that we just can't decide yet, and then right, then you have you know secondary challenge. What do we do until we decide it? So some people will say, well, let's be machmer on the deraisas and make you on the rabbanans. And some people will say, let's be machner on everything. And some people will say, let's be mekel on everything. We saw those attitudes yesterday with regard to CRISPR, right? If there's no iser, it's mutter, right? That was the, uh, right, that was the quote from Tavares Yisrael, or an assumption that you, right, that you really, really need to be cautious. Okay. Um, now, but why is it not clear? He says, it's not, it hasn't been made clear yet. Eich nishma al right? How, right, how a microphone makes you hear things. Al Right, via people whom it is um, proper to rely on. Okay, there's there's been what I consider to be a, a clear mistranslation of this. So I'm going to state again that anashim uh, I think clearly means by pe- by people who it is appropriate to rely on. So now the question is, what's your standard for people who it's appropriate to rely on? Um, so you often have um, you often have uh, people saying that halachists should just rely on experts. Um, but you know, the, in an emerging field, the consensus of um, the consensus is not necessarily initially correct. And I, I always argue that modern orthodox poskim dafka have an obligation to actually investigate the issue themselves and try and understand it, as opposed to simply relying on experts. And I think that many times halacha has been um, made incorrectly, and even in ways that appear retrospectively ridiculous, because people just accepted the sign. Um, Either a scientific consensus, or more often, what happens is you don't know, right? You have no direct access to a scientific consensus. Um, so what you do is you either read a popular version of it, or more likely, what many posts can do is they have one expert they trust. 
and that often leads them into error. So I think Rav Moshe's caution here is beautiful, right? He says, look, I haven't found anybody I really trust. I would much prefer if he hadn't found, in the end, one person he trusted, but had access to, uh, to an array of people with different perspectives. But so for now, he says, I can't say real halakha because I don't really know what the, <coughs> I don't really know what the, uh, what the situation is. And the challenge then is, um, if you don't know, right, if you don't know, um, if you, right, what are you supposed to say then, right? Somebody's asking you the question, what are we supposed to do? So he says, right, therefore, his first reaction is, therefore, you shouldn't do it. And he says, you know, I don't think anyone ever asked me the question yet. Right? And you told me. Somebody says, I said, leave them be. I never said that. Okay, I never said that. Doesn't mean he's not going to say it now. What he's saying is, if you were to ask me the question, I would say, we don't have a clear halacha. And his attitude is, look, you're trying to be Yotzei Mitzvah. You don't have a clear halacha. So why would you do it the other way? The counter is going to be. But maybe there are places where people won't be able to say anyway because they can't hear. Maybe there are people who have poor hearing, um, right? Who, right? So they're never Yotze unless you uh, unless you allow microphones. Um, they don't have. There aren't miniature um, hearing aids um, yet. I don't even know if there are electronic ear trumpets. But perhaps Rav Moshe sees this issue coming. Okay. So now he's. But he doesn't leave it. He doesn't leave it at that because the person who wrote in the question did not just ask him his opinion, but actually wrote his own opinion or expressed his own opinion. He says, (laughs) What you find obvious, right? He said, you you thought the answer was obvious, right? It's obviously, you know, what happened, it seems, is Rabbi Ginsburg came to Rav Moshe and said, that young rabbi over there told me that you said that if people want to use a microphone, I'm not going to endorse it, but let it be. Um, I, I, I said, Rav Moshe, you know, I never, I never, I never said that, but your position, if your position that it's obvious that um, uh, your 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 position that it's obvious that um, that we should that we should be able to uh, that they're not Yotze, that position is also not obvious to me. Um, okay, so Rav Moshe says. Uh, so Rav Moshe, um, I apologize. I'm just going to stop for a sec because there's a uh, there's a chat question that I for some reason was failing was failing to see. Um, right, okay, yes. Um, okay, we'll go back to sharing. I apologize that I didn't do that well. Um, okay, so now, um, so now Rav Moshe says, you think it's obvious or not, Yosei. Okay, so Rabbi Ginsburg said, it's obvious to me that you can't be Yosei with, um, with, with a microphone because you're not hearing the person reading the Megillah what you're hearing is the microphone. And in order to be Yotzi the Megillah, the, the voice you're hearing has to come from somebody who is themselves uh, under the obli- right, subject to the obligation of reading, of reading Megillah. And the microphone is a machine. Okay, um, right? He said, now what's your basis? Um, according to the experts, right? So be clear, the Moshe knows there are experts. He's consulted them. He just doesn't have somebody whom he's willing to rely on, absolutely. So the experts say, the microphone doesn't actually reproduce the voice. Like it just produces something called a, right, he called a had havara, which is very difficult to, uh, 
very difficult to translate, right? So Rabbi Ginsburg said, whatever the voice produced by the microphone is, is not the voice of the reader. And therefore, obviously, you're not Yodzei for the technical reason that you're not hearing the Megillah from somebody who is Chayav. But uh, Sir Moshe says, I think that your use of terminology is inappropriate. Because you use the word kol havara to refer to Eino Baruch Yuba, but Rav Moshe says, I don't understand the Gemara Rosh Hashanah that way. I understand the Gemara Rosh Hashanah to mean that a kol havara, that a kol havara is a distorted kol. Okay? Um, right? Because, but here he says, but here he says, what happens is a kol chazaku bari. Here, the voice of the microphone, the voice of the microphone reproduces is an undistorted, clear voice. So Rav Moshe says, the mission Rosh Hashanah doesn't tell me anything about the source of the voice. The Mishnah Rosh Hashanah, as Rav Moshe understands it, is that there is an obvious difference between the voice, uh, between the original sound of the shofar and the sound produced by the echo, and the sound by the, produced by the echo is weaker or distorted, and that's why you're not Yotze. The, the Mishnah Rosh Hashanah tells me nothing about what would happen with a perfect echo. And the simplest reading is that a perfect echo would, uh, according to Rav Moshe, you would be Yotze with. And that's really important, by the way, because you know, if you have a, a contemporary scientific understanding, you understand that the sound you hear in a space is always going to be affected by echoes. Um, and the sound is bouncing off the walls. And in fact, all, you know, the, whole, right, the whole science of acoustics is designed to make the sound bounce off the walls properly. And if all an echo is, is a sound bouncing off a wall, the Rav Moshe's position makes eminent sense. Why should the why should you not be Yotze within within the echo of a shofar? Why is that different than hearing the shofar directly? So Rav Moshe says it must be the pshat in the Mishnah is that there's a distorted sound, which is really along the lines of the base Yosef, is that you that you you can if you can't tell the difference, then you're then you're Yosef. So now Rav Moshe says your doubt that the microphone is different, that the microphone is right, the microphone even if it is an excellent reproduction, you're not Yosef. Right, um, right, um, it's not obvious to me that you're not Yotze with, with an excellent reproduction. Even if you say the experts are right, that what a microphone does is not reproduce the voice. Instead, what the microphone does is that it produces another voice at the impetus of the original speaker's voice. Right, since, right, why is it not obvious to me? Because it seems to me that this new voice is produced only when you, only at the time that the speaker is speaking, and therefore, so you can hear this. This new voice can be considered the same as the original voice. Because everything that is heard. Is directly produced by your voice. All right. So here, Rav Moshe has, has an original idea, which he doesn't really formulate well, and which and which we're still arguing about. Um, right. He says it's that the this new sound is heard only when the kore is speaking. So does that mean that he intends to ban a delay? And he's really um, and he's talking about the difference between a a direct action in what we would call in other areas of halacha, a grama. And one of the models of grama is, right, what, right, is that a delay automatically reduces something from being your direct 
uh, the direct result of your koach to being a grama, or is he creating some kind of new category um, of koach, which, right, if it turned out that this voice is wholly, uh, right, this new sound is wholly produced by, um, by your sound, maybe that would be, um, maybe that would be, that, that would be enough, right? We also have really, you know, a really interesting question about reading, about reading Megillah through voters and things like that, where it's your vocal cords that generate the production of the sound, but it's not, but it's not actually the sound that you produce, right? It's a whole set of fascinating questions raised by Moshe's formulation. Everything that, everything that is done, right? Here's the formulation that doesn't involve time. Everything is, right, it happens, it creates because of his voice. Right, and he says, and how do we, how do we, right, how do we really know what hearing is? So Maybe, right, maybe he says, maybe sound happens like this. Some other, something else is created in the air, and that mid intermediate thing that is created in the air reaches your ears. Right, and that's what the scientists tell us. That a that a voice has duration, right? It has it has to move, it has to move in space and time, ozen, right, till the ear. Right? It takes a certain amount of time. So this is a, an utterly fascinating um truva. He has a certain understanding, right? Somebody has clearly explained sound waves to him. But he seems to still have this notion that there's a platonic idea of voice. And right, so there's some kind of thing called a voice. And that thing called the voice is translated into sound waves, I guess. Not not clear. But now he challenges the duration, the idea that even a delay should matter, because after all, you know, he says sound waves are delayed also. So if the thing we call voice is not really you know, his the intrinsic, I don't know, the Kantian numina, whatever you want to call a voice, but rather what we call voice is a sound wave traveling in the air that has duration, and then it's translated by our ears and our brains into Right, into some kind of mental experience. So why should it matter whether whatever the thing we call voice is produces sound waves in the air or produces electric waves? Or for that matter, produces electric waves that then produce sound waves. All right, so here, Hermesha says, your fundamental claim that we have to separate the electronic thing from the original, that is not obvious to me because, right, because nobody ever said that it has to be the voice of the person defined in defined in you know rigid rigid physical terms. Now I should say there's a misunderstanding here as well, is that some people think that Rav Moshe is distinguishing Megillah from Shofar, because by Shofar there is an idea that it has to be the sound of the uh, Shofar. But at this point Rav Moshe isn't necessarily doing that. What he says is right as far as he's concerned this would work for Shofar too as long as it was a perfect reproduction. He doesn't think there's any special din. Um, right? A special din is not obvious that the shofar is different than a person. Right? If it's the sound produced by the shofar, maybe that's enough, maybe not. I don't, I don't think that um, Moshe is saying anything different yet. So he says, Right, so maybe... The sound coming out of the microphone is your voice. And he thinks that if you were to ask him to choose, does it make 
does it make more sense to say that the sound coming out of the microphone is your voice halachically? Or does it make more sound to say that it, we attribute it to the impersonal machine? The answer is, it makes more sense to him to say that this is your voice. Okay, and you can think about whether this is different than machine matzahs, uh, if you want. Um, right, because fundamentally, right, um, okay, right, you can think about that. But now he says, okay, now, right, so now that's Ramosha's analysis, and then he says, and secondly, he says, you know what, I, I know the experts say this, but it's not obvious to me that it's true. Right, so I, I think that this is, uh, I encourage um, Postgame to be skeptical of their own understanding and of what they're told by, by particular experts and even of the consensus in an emerging field. Ramosha is not convinced. So, right, first of all, he says, I'm not convinced scientifically that what you claim is true is a new voice. And also, even if I were convinced scientifically, I'm not convinced you're right halakhically that, it's, that the voice is attributed to the machine and not to the person. And he says, therefore, even though he began the tshuva by denying he'd ever said it before, now he says, right, says, you know, a lot of qualifiers. It's possible. It's possible. We shouldn't object to those people who want to read Megillah by a microphone from pure halachic perspective. And he says, the kilkal mitzvah right, if, if you're worried, that there's going to be a uh, you know there's going to be a slippery slope and people are going to use this for all for all other mitzvahs. Uh, that you're afraid that people are going to start blowing shofar and kriyas Torah by on Shabbos yantiv. He has Charlotte home. He said that can't happen. Because he assumes as a given. Now why he assumes this is not uh, is not obvious, but probably he thinks it's Hashemas Kol, which is right, which is independent of the uh, mechanism. Since you're a lot, not allowed to speak in the microphone, nobody's going to do this on Shabbos and Yantiv. With a mitzvah's dibur shebechol, and if you're going to talk about not about shofar and kriyas haTorah, um, right, but about mitzvahs that, that are accomplished by speech during the week, im gam can you group a microphone? If, right, if if they're, if you're going to if they're going to read that with the microphone, haim ain lemichos be megillah. If you're not supposed to object to megillah, kol shekain beilu. Okay, but this is a very interesting thing because why does he talk about kilkol for shofar and kriyas haTorah? No, that's not going to happen because it's Shabbos and Yantiv. He should say Kilkul for Shofar and Kriyasa Torah. And Kriyasa Torah happens on Monday and Thursday, by the way. The reason that, it, the re, the reason that there's no Kilkul is because the same argument as in the second half. So it might be there's something different about Shofar, even though he hasn't, uh, and maybe even Kriyasa Torah, even though he hasn't identified it. Okay, but now we get to Rav Moshe functioning as a post He says, Ach but nonetheless. Since it's not obvious that it's mutter, and it's a wholly new matter, you should object on sociological grounds because, um, because people like to go after new things. There are people in, right, people in this uh, country or these countries love going after, right, trying new stuff. Right, as as uh, as my friend wrote. Okay, so let's um, let's stop and summarize. Fromosha ends up with a, a very complex and nuanced position. He says that it seems to him that if he had to make a decision, that this works for Megillah, and it works for all other weekday week, weekday speech blessings, 
There's some ambiguity about whether it works for Shofar and Kriya Satoru. We don't know what the source of that is. But he says, you know, you shouldn't rush to make decisions um, when the science isn't clear. Really, the right outcome, when you have a position that is based on new scientific understandings that you're not sure are right, and you're not sure even if they're right, right, you're speculating halakhically, but you're not building yourself on clear precedent. The right thing to do is to tell people you shouldn't do it and not object if they do it anyway. So they might have good reasons for doing it anyway. Right? If that's the normal approach to new technology, Rav Moshe is you gather the data, but it's not your obligation to make a decision. If people ask you, say, better be cautious. And if people say, if people scream, say, how do you know? But then he says, sometimes there are additional sociological factors which say that you should object because, uh, right, because the reason people are doing this is possibly not because they have really good reasons for doing so, but because some people like shiny new things. Some people are interested in change for the sake of change. And Ramosha isn't fond of uh, what I would call early halachic adopters. Uh, people who are rushing to say the word. People are rushing to say the world has changed, right? So I think that this is a very careful, uh, very careful um, truva that I think is a really a, an excellent model for dealing with new technology as a whole, which is don't be confident you know the answer, don't be confident you understand the technology, um, and then you. But but then once you've reached the the patient balance halachic position, which is probably let it work it out. If there's a sociological reason to intervene, um, you can do all right. You can do that as well. Okay, that's the first shiva. Um, let's go on. To, let's go on now to the um, to the second and maybe the third, and then we'll we'll take questions after them, assuming that uh, that we have time. And if not, uh, questions can always be emailed. Okay, here's the here's the second shiva of Moshe. We know it's later because he uh, refers to the earlier one. He says, For in terms of hearing Havdalah by telephone, and it's not, you know, what a telephone is. Is a telephone a microphone? Is a telephone a hearing aid? Not at all clear. For a woman who is uh, in the hospital, If she can't hear Havdalah where she is, she should certainly hear it on the telephone. It's, uh, it seems more likely, as I'm right, that she's Yotze Havdalah than not by telephone. As I wrote in my last Shiva. And just like I said about Megillah, I said about Havdalah. And here she has no choice. So my claiming you shouldn't do it makes no sense. So, right, when you're not sure what to do and people have no choice, then obviously you should tell them to do it. Um, because there's no difference between any of the mitzvot of speech during the week and Megillah. Okay, I'm going to skip a line now. It says, Since she can't hear Havdalah in the hospital, she has to hear it by telephone. And you also have to answer Amen to a bracha that you hear on the telephone. Let's assume that it's live, right? that he's He's not dealing with a recording issue, and he also isn't dealing with radio, which may, which may or may not be the same thing. And I don't know if he knows yet about uh, seven-second delays and the like. You have to answer Amen and Abracha mi Okay, so Moshe has a very um, 
consistent position, I think it is, which is that you can't, right, when dealing with a new technology, and, right, and um, um, I, I seem to have cut out the date on this, but I think it's, um, I think we're, I think this is, I don't see when the next one is. The next one is Tushin Mems. I think, yeah, this, this one is, is, is in 5712. Um, so we're in 1950, 1952, probably. Um, so, right, so Moshe says, it's a suffix. What happens in a suffix is you tell people not to do it. You don't object if they do it. And if someone has no other choice, you tell them to do it. Okay, now, what I do want to say, though, is that there are people who are arguing that Moshe really thinks that uh, that the microphone definitely works, and he's just refraining from uh, from endorsing it for sociological reasons. And they say, look, this this chuba disambiguates. So this chuba doesn't disambiguate because he says it's mis- he says it's misafik, But actually, there's a better proof that Rav Moshe is not making up his mind here. So the line I skipped is levad right? He says all mitzvahs of speech during the week are like Megillah, except for kriyatshma and birkat hamazon. Because the Kriyat Shem Birkat Amazoni says, "Shet Sarich Limchod Ve'Elu Horatzim Litzayt in Microphone." If somebody wants to be Yotze Benching over a microphone, or he wants to be Yotze Kriyat Shema over a microphone, then Ramosh all of a sudden says you have to object. So what's different, right? You know, he didn't say he doesn't say right. So whatever it is, it's not something that's unique to Shofar and the Din of Kol Shofar, because he says the things you have to object to are Kriyat Shema and Benching. So the answer, it seems to me clear, and I haven't heard an, an alternative uh, response is that Kriyashma and Birkat Hamazon are Dioraita. And if somebody engages in something, or right, if you have a situation where somebody is trying to be Yotzi, a mitzvah Dioraita, misafik, and they have some kind of alternative, then you object to it. Why are you trying to do it by a suffix way as opposed to a vade way? Now tell me, what about Havdalah? So the answer is, even if you read the Havdalah can be Dioraita, but the woman, right, but, but the, you can say and presumably the woman right before he told her to pick up a telephone, he would have told her right to say to say You don't need anybody for that. It's a woman who wants to hear Abdullah with with all the brachos from somebody else, maybe because she holds a uh, right, wild position that women can't make Abdullah for themselves, or maybe because she just doesn't she just doesn't know how to do it herself, or maybe because you can't get uh, you can't you can't bring candles into a uh, do a hospital, whatever it may be. So the Havdalah here we're talking about is clearly only Havdalah Durabanan, not Havdalah Duraita. And therefore, um, Rav Moshe has a wholly consistent position here, which is that dealing with a new technology, even if you have a, you know, what he thinks is a strong you know, a predilection, right? He, has, he makes a decision right? he thinks is more likely than not, but that isn't enough to remove it from the category of suffix. And isn't even enough to stop him from objecting to people who try and fulfill this diorita, um, but just right. But he doesn't want that kind of caution to prevent people from being yotze when they have no choice. So he lets the woman hear it over the uh, hear it over the telephone. But he'll probably say that even though he tells the woman to hear it over the to hear it over the tele, that she can hear it over the telephone, and it, far from objecting, he's still going to object to people who do it lechatchila even for Megillah because he thinks that it's bad public policy to let this happen without objection. Okay, that'll bring us to the third shuva, which uh, for some reason was missing uh, from several initial treatments of this subject. The third shuva, uh, which is in Tafshin uh, Mem, right? So now, now we're in 1980, is, um, is written to 
Rabbi Rafael Binyamin Posen, who is the general principal of uh, of uh, the, I guess I think is is a a girls' school called Benot Kfar Elio in Israel, and he, he sends him nice greetings, and then he says the following. Um, he says, in the upcoming Purim, your shul is not big enough. The Beknesset of your of your school is not big enough to have too many onim. So we derive that the past custom of the the past the past custom of the school was to um, was to was to divide into two minyanim and have two people right and have a minion each place and the girls would divide in half and that way um, that way every right all the girls could hear the um, could hear the megillah. But he says the Chol tell me right but now that there isn't space for two minyanim the Chol tell me and the way your synagogue is set up, if you bring all the girls into the Beit Knesset at the same time, the only way some of them can hear is by microphone. Okay, I don't know what uh, what happens on a regular Shabbos, but maybe it's not so crowded, or whatever it may be, um, so that right, they're not so bothered. Maybe I, you, I should allow you to um, to read the Megillah by microphone for the girls. Because it seems more likely than not that they fulfill their mitzvah. Um, but, but he says, I should have made this a, a new line. And this should really be the end of the line, right? You saw in my truva that I said this. But since it's not obvious that, that this is clear, and also, a separate issue, it's also something new, and we don't like encouraging people to engage in halachic experimentation or religious experimentation ritually. He thinks, Ain la you shouldn't do it. That is an interesting line. But you'll tell me it's a shasatchak. What are we supposed to do? I said, why is it a shasatchak? There isn't enough space in the shul. He says, ain't ready. He says, guess what? I think your chak is not enough. Why? The yortetov, right? So what turned out is that um, Purim is on Sunday. And their, and their ordinary practice was that they would clear the cafeteria for the second minion. But now it's Shabbos and they can't prepare. There's a better habit is Everybody should have a Marav together. Right? You shouldn't read the Megillah anywhere. Send everyone down and clear the cafeteria. And then you'll read the Megillah. Right? And, um, right? and then you'll read Sarah, you'll, then you'll read the Megillah as everywhere, as you do every time else, in two places, in the Beit HaKnesset and in the cafeteria. Um, and, there'll be, and there'll be a male minion in each place. And this is better than doing something new like this. Right? And then he says, what sounds like, you know, what you're saying is that it's, um, it's more important for the men to hear it than the girls. That's why you say, ah, and some of the girls won't hear it by microphone. But the boys, he says, All right, this is nonsense. Uh, right? This is Enochum. Because women and men are just as obligated, and you have no basis, right? This is just sexism. Um, therefore, you have to do it in both places you do every year, and even if you have to wait a little bit um, until you until you uh, clear until you clear it, no big deal, right? You'll read the Megillah at the same time. Okay. So now we get out of these three true votes, you develop what I think is a very clear policy for Rav Moshe. Now, it's interesting that even though there's at least 28 years taking place between these two votes, 
He never thinks, he never seems to have resolved the underlying issue. Maybe he understands the science better, but even though he understands the, understands the science better, that still doesn't clarify his underlying question, which is, what do you do with, some, with a sound that is produced by a person in a way that is different than people usually produce sound, but, um, but is indistinguishable uh, or even improved, uh, improved acoustically. And so his position is, in general, when you're confronted by new technology, by new technology and you don't really know what the approach is, let it work out. What I think he's hoping will happen is something like Minag Yisrael, right? Eventually, or, right, eventually the Jewish people will decide. There'll be, a habit, there'll be habits. And he has a thumb on the scale because he thinks that, the, he thinks that we should weight everything towards keeping things the same as opposed to different, at least in America where people are, um, are excessively uh, fond of the novel. It might be that you can imagine another society in which Rav Moshe thinks that people are hide-down traditionalists and so he'll encourage creativity, I don't know. Um, but he thinks that the job of Postgame is to discourage people when asked, to discourage people from objecting when asked, uh, and, and to make sociological judgments, but not to let those sociological judgments prevent you from doing the right thing in individual cases. So if a woman is in the hospital and she can't hear Abdullah, he'll, say, tells you, he'll tell you she can hear Abdullah. And then in case some, when people want to expand that and say, oh, let's, Ray, let's do that in our school to in order to save ourselves um, in order to save ourselves an hour um, or half an hour, whatever it takes, before reading Megillah, he says, no. You know, there's some situations where I call it a shasat chak. This is not enough of a shasat chak, and that's also a very important thing for Postkim to be able to say, you know what, not every shasat chak is the same. Okay, so now I'm going to stop now and see, are there any questions about, um, about Rav Moshe's position? Um, I have one. Yep, go ahead, Adina. Okay, so I guess my question, so like I, like, like where is, like, is there like a danger of like saying, or like deal with the fact that like saying something is allowed in this, you know, our specific situation. Um, and it's like relying on, you know, the opinion of like Rav Moshe, but since his opinion is actually like very nuanced, um, but then people just hear like, oh, like it's allowed like all the time. Like how, like is like, is there, or I mean, or like maybe they weren't like, is there a way to, to like mitigate the fact, like to, to mitigate the, or like to convey the like nuance and complexity of the opinion and, and like how it's like we're, we're being very specific and not like being like very broad. Yes, or, I, think I think that's a real challenge. Uh, Ramosha tried. Uh, Ravosha tried. Obviously, he didn't fully succeed because that person in the girls' school right, went too far for him. Um, and in a sense, he didn't succeed because there are lots of people using Ravosha's truva to say that obviously this is the halacha. Uh, so I think, you know, I don't know that it's possible. I do think that, you know, for me, it's very important for everyone to understand that Ravosha never endorsed it for a Dio And it's important to say that Ravosha 
you know, objected to using it for even a minor shasat chak. Um, I think that's I think that's a, those are all true. On the other hand, I think it's fair to say, look, you know what? It's been um, seventy years. By now, we should have made up our mind. Right? You know, right? It was it was an emerging technology back then. Okay, even in nineteen eighty, we could say that you know that it was an emerging technology. But what about now? But on the other hand, what we can say is that the technology keeps shifting. Uh, and this is an argument that I, you know, I've made in print, I'll keep making it, is that microphones are not the same things that they were uh, because now we have digital signal processing. So the notion that something is completely produced by your voice, um, even then, is not, was not obviously um, the case because there's, you know, there's still going to be sound processing. And I don't know, so I imagine, let's say, if you, know, if you lay McGill over a hi-fi system which has woofers and subwoofers and tweeters, so does right. So each of them is producing a different voice. So Rav Moshe say, right? They're you know, and they're all somewhat distorted. So Rav Moshe say, aha. So that's no longer the case. So we say, who cares? What you hear is the product of all three speakers simultaneously. Uh, but now we can do all sorts of things, right? I can, all right, you know, I, I can stand at a soundboard and I can manipulate uh, manipulate you to sound like any, right, any number of things. I could put filters on it so that you sound monotonic, or I can put filters on it so that you. Um, so right, so that you're high pitched, or probably by now I could even put a British accent on you. So is that still your voice, even though your voice can be distorted by so many things in between, and really it's choices being made by the software, and your voice doesn't doesn't yield the outer result. And then on the other hand, if you say that, if you say that um, that a voice which is still clear, but not really similar or or easily distinguishable from the original voice is not, is not uh, sufficient. So then you have to deal with not just hearing aids, now you have to deal with cochlear implants. As cochlear implants don't get the music. Um, right, they, miss, right, they miss all sorts of things. Uh, so I think, that, I, think, I think it might be, that it might very well be that we should, uh, that the right approach to, if we were talking about how we deal with Zoom, and Zoom right, is really you know, a very similar issue to what Moshe is talking about. So we'd say, like, the right answer is to say, Look, let's suppose you're convinced that Zoom can accomplish presence. Let's suppose that you were, right, we could argue about that, just like Rav Moshe's interlocutor said, it was obvious to him that the sound of the microphone is not the sound. So we could say that it's obvious that, a, um, that, your, uh, that your electronic presence on Zoom is not the same as your, electronic, as, um, your actual presence. And we could do that for a couple of reasons. We could do that because we think that it's not actually a proper reproduction because it's only two-dimensional and anyone can tell the difference between what they right, what they're seeing on a screen and they see the frame by a screen as opposed to as opposed to seeing the whole person and then we'll start getting dishes well, what happens if it's not miniaturized what happens if you're looking at it on a on a on a on a 65 inch screen what happens if you're looking at it on a on a screen with 3d projection or a curved screen and i'll just point out like you know an easy you know that an issue that i think should have been addressed in the past but i have not yet found a precedent for and i'm eager to find a precedent for is mirrors. What that right is being seen in a mirror for a laughing purpose is the same as being seen live. But even if we were to say that you're entirely convinced that your um, that your zoom that your zoom presence is enough and you what you're thinking about is what happens if it's not your if if instead of presenting yourself on Zoom exactly as you are, the really um, the right the real the uh, the really the real question is um, is what happens if I produce an avatar, 
but the avatar moves like me, right? So we can say everything that appears on screen is the product of my actions. It just happens that I don't look like myself. I look like a giant cat waving my arms around, right? So those are all, let's suppose that you solve all those, let's suppose you solve all those, um, all those questions. And let's suppose also, um, right, as uh, right, uh, that you solve the delay problem or you've decided that delay is not the issue. All that matters is whether it's your co-op and we're not, right, either grama is sufficient or we think the category grama is irrelevant to these uh, purposes. You don't have a workaround, um, right? So you don't, you know, somebody pointed out that by Kriyachma, by Kriyachma, we could have had someone repeat it word for word. Okay, but the shuls that Ramosh is objecting to are not shuls where somebody is saying on the microphone, everyone repeats it word for word. Maybe if they had done that, Ramosh would have been perfectly happy with it. Okay, we've solved, we've, we, we're now in the world of Zoom, right? So I want to apply Ramosh. The right answer, it seems to be, is to say that even if you're convinced, which you don't have to be, and lots of people won't be. Your proper answer should be, well, don't, right? But since it's a wholly new idea, don't think about it for Jeoraisas. Don't tell people, don't encourage it. Don't object if people try it. Unless you think there's a good sociological reason to object to it. You think that there's a strong slippery slope that people, uh, people are going to, once they start using Zoom, they're going to start, there are all sorts of things like this. And this, um, uh, SPM alum Matthew Nitzanim, I think, and, and I've seen other people do it since, but he was the first one. I uh, said about Megillah, you know, he drew the analogy to the dreaded conservative uh, driving to Shabbat Tshuva um, and saying, you know, you think you're bringing people in, but actually um, what you're doing is you're, uh, the, you're, right, you're setting up the possibility that people no longer have to live and share in the same space. Um, and you know, I, I said to one person, that if you actually succeed in creating, a, you know, in, in allowing a virtual minion, all the small shul rabbis across the country are going to have you shot, because um, you're going to kill, you're going to kill um, all the, you're going to kill all the all the minyanim in small shuls across the country, which are supported by people coming for kaddish, um, right? And so you, right? So you might have so, but sociological reasons, and you you might say, you might say, if you could. We'd say, look, for individuals, right? So for individual, individual people who couldn't come to shul because they were quarantined, by all means, you should hear the Megillah by Zoom because it's better than nothing, right? You're, right? There's a good chance for you, I'd say. And then the challenge is what happens if all of a sudden everybody, right? what happens if all of a sudden everybody is able to hear this only by Zoom? So now you have a sociological reason for and a sociological reason against and in that circumstance, right, I think it's clear, that, I think the Ramosh's model was clear as to what he would have said until then. But now we have a circumstance where there's a mass need, right? Nobody's going to hear Megillah, right? We, we, we didn't go into quarantine before, uh, before Purma. There were lots of people who wouldn't have heard Megillah on Purma. And if it happened now, none of us would be able to do it. So what would Ramosha say about, uh, right, about Zoom? And we're not talking about Megillah now because Zoom from Megillah, the only question is why would you want Zoom? Right? Use a telephone, it's a better, it's a better thing. What would Rav Moshe say about um, say about things that require um, that require presence or require minion? Okay, right. That's the, that's the way I want to set up the the challenge. And I want to take a few minutes um, to talk right to begin addressing the question of places where what's happening in halacha is not the transmission of sound. With right, the transmission of sound is an issue that um, Rav Moshe dealt with, and we talked about the models, and we talked about the you know, that the technology has changed and so the models might not be exactly applicable, but the theory is still applicable. Uh, when it comes to, to, when it comes to um, issues of sight, so then it might be that the halachic issues are 
different, and it might not even be that we would reach the um, that even without um, even without the, the the claim that no, I don't really believe that a visual projection is your right is your light presence in the same way that an audio projection is your voice presence because of the difference between two and three dimensions. Uh, there might be other right. It might be the halachic issues involved are more diff, are more com, are more complex than that. So let's take a look. Um, so you right. So I think you've probably all seen. Actually, no. Before we we take a look at the actual halacha, I think you've probably now all seen. And I hope I didn't um, put it. Yeah, you've all seen by now. Yeah. So we'll start. We'll start with Rav Melamed's psak as publicized by Rav Benny Lau, but Rav Lau seems to have done it um, with with great fidelity because uh, something very much like Rav Lau's answer. Was actually sent as a WhatsApp to the Harbracha community. So, um, so I've I've given you the 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 Hebrew um, WhatsApp that was sent to the Harbracha community that uh, was sent to me by Ellie Fisher, and um, and Rabbi Chai Posner sent to me this morning a um, the in English Times of Israel post in which Rabbi Lau essentially translated the, the um, that WhatsApp and you know showed that his original presentation was fairly accurate. Um, we'll talk about one, the one nuance which I'm not sure was obvious in the original newspaper interview. So first of all, background halacha. The Shulchan Aruch says that you say Kaddish, you can only say Kaddish in a standard minyan, right? You can't say with less than 10. Okay. And then he says what's, that one of the criteria of that minyan is Sarek Shiyu Kola Asara Bimakom Echad Ushliach Tzibori Mahem. Right? So our criteria for minyan for Kaddish are Right, not our ten, and the ten have to be defined as being in the same place. Okay, and who, right, the shliach tibur, the person who is reading, right, who is leading the kaddish, has to be with them in that same place. Okay, so what did Rabbi Melamed say? Melamed said because of uncertainties about the definition of place, I'm not sure what his uncertainties are yet. That's a, it's a pretty radical statement that it's uncertainty, and about the definition of voice. Right, which is Rav Moshe's issue. If it is impossible to um, to um, define gathering in a in a virtual gathering So for all purposes of Dvarnshabikdusha, would I ask you, is there a minion or is there not a minion? The answer is there is not a minion. Okay, and he makes that clear by the way, he tells you in number five, which he says that you that you can't Recite your gimel midot in a virtual minion unless you lane them, which you could do biachid. Now is an interesting one. He says bishat hatzorech in a time of need. Kadish yatom bekadish drabanan enam kol lim bracha levatala. It's not a bracha levatala to say kadish drabanan kadish yatom. Vilachen hayit kashrut elektronit. Therefore, the electronic um, electronic connection havi yicholale chashev lak ein minyan. That can be considered like a minion. Okay, um, in Rabbi Lau's translation is they can be considered a kind of minion. So what does that mean? Right, what on earth does that mean? To be considered a kind of minion. So what it seems to me is that the, um, the, the proper way to understand, uh, to understand um, Rabbi Malama's position is is that Kaddish Yatom and Kaddish Yachid can be recited, be, uh, right, can be recited be Yachid without a violation of Bracha Levatala. But, right, either because it won't satisfy people or because 
that's a really bad precedent if we encourage people to start reciting Kaddish Yatom B'yachid and say they don't need a community at all. And they're really not Yotze, because you're not right, because it's, it's in order to be considered a recitation of a Devashivikdusha, you need a minion. So we're going to create some kind of Zecher. We're going to create something that looks like a minion because that's better sociologically, and we have a psychological need. Right? So this is a very different kind of um, policy making. Uh, what he says is, you know what? This isn't a minion. And you know, there's there's a um, there's I think an unfortunate ambiguity because on the one hand he says Sveikot, and the other hand he says unambiguously that you can't consider it a minion for anything. Now if it were really a suffix, what he should have said is, you know, in certain kinds of drabanans we can suggest it works, things like that. So I, I think that might have been I think that might have been imprecise language. What he means is that there's so many doubts, right? Not that there's a right Sveikot Chonim, it doesn't mean that there's you know that we're not, I'm not sure which it is. It, what he means, I think, is that there are so many doubts that there's no way you could call this a real minion. And having concluded that it's not a real minion, he then says that there's a way to meet people's psychological needs. And but I'm but I'm not I'm worried about the precedent of the psychological need. And I'm more worried about the precedent of having people say Kaddish to themselves, perhaps, than I am worried about the precedent of a virtual minion. Um, and that's the position he ends up is that um, that a Kain minion, and that's a really interesting, challenging, and possibly you know depending on the community and not a dangerous strategy. Uh, I think that you know that certainly you know the public perception of Rabbi Lamed's sock is Rabbi Lamed said you can say Kaddish in a virtual minion, um, and what you know what he really says is Rabbi Lamed says that you can say Kaddish. Whenever you want, you're not going to be Yotze, but if you right, but since you feel bad about it, I don't right, so I don't mind if you put together a virtual uh, right, a virtual group to feel better about it. But you know, this is a people an, an analogy of Nachat Ruach and Hashim by Karbana, right? Karbana, that's not like this is a good strategy. Sometimes the pastoral need is great enough that you allow a uh, halachic simulacrum. So I think it's really worth a lot of thought about whether Malama's strategy here is um, here is accurate, um, is viable or not. Uh, I want to say one more thing, and we won't have time. If we had time, I would try and put together a, a more sophisticated uh, argument um, for a uh, for a, an actual virtual minion in the context of Kaddish uh, that Rabbi Reno Newworth has put together, and my objections to that, and uh, possibly. Um, another argument that I might feel better about certain kinds of Kaddishes. I just want to say that so far as I can tell, aside from the policy issues from Malamed, I, I don't understand the argument halakhically. Uh, because while it's true that Kaddish is not a bracha livatola, um, really what that means is it's not, and he, and he cites evidence, or other people cite evidence, that um, as opposed to brachot, where there is an objection to saying unnecessary brachot, even if they're in a context which is formally, which is formally okay, right? Bracha she'inetzricha, right? So you can take a bite, you can make a bracha, take a bite, make a make a, make a bracha achrona, make a bracha rishona, take a bite, right? So you could you can get a hundred brachos out of um, out of eating one bunch of grapes, but we object to doing that because we think you shouldn't make that many bracha. But we don't object to that with kaddish. Uh, the contemporary custom is we just add another parak of we add another parak of tilim, we say another kaddish, you add another parak of tilim, we say another kaddish. Nobody 
In most shuls, people don't say, no, you have to just say all three prakirtilim and then make one kaddish. That's true. But that's not the same thing as saying that you can say that that you can say it in a without a formal justification. And my argument is that um, saying kaddish without a minion is the same thing as making a bari, a, uh, is making a bracha without food. Right? That's a that's a different kind of bracha levatala. Uh, right? It's really what we call a bracha levatala as opposed to bracha shenitzricha. So it seems to me that Ramelama's argument, and I don't understand it, and I, I emailed his site, I have not gotten a response. I don't really understand the argument fundamentally at all. I think it's fundamental, you know, so at this stage, although it, you know, it would be astonishing to me if Ramelama had overlooked the distinction that obvious, so I might be missing something. At this stage, I think the argument is just wrong um, and that you shouldn't be able to do it, but I think there are other arguments that might justify it that I hope I'll be, uh, I, I hope will be produced over the next few days, and then we can talk about the policy arguments. Okay, so I want to break here and um, just stop and take questions either about the specific issue of um, of Kaddish in a uh, of Kaddish in a, in a virtual minion or about the, um, the right really I guess more I'd like to take questions about the um, about the, pol- the about the policy questions uh, associated with Ramalama's notion about whether you should you should or should not encourage um, halachic uh, uh in when that's the only way to make people feel to have people maintain some kind of resonance of the old halacha, or whether the risk that um, that people will come to mistake it is uh, is too great. And I want to put in context if you have listened or were part of the shir on how on how radically can halacha change in a shatat chak, you would see that there are models for that in the question of what happens, what are you supposed to do in a year. When you can't get a kosher a kosher etrog, what are you supposed to do in the years where you can't even get a puzzle etrog? Right, the difference is whether you're supposed to carry a, a dried out lulav, or if you can't find a lulav, are you supposed to carry um, a plant from a, a a thing from some other kind of plant? Um, okay, so I will stop and take questions uh, now, and I'll look for another opportunity, I guess, to fully address the question of um, of whether there is a whether there is a viable argument for saying. Uh, for saying Kaddish and Aminian, and the questions of um, whether sight and uh, whether sight and um, and voice are obviously distinguishable are obviously distinguishable. Okay, so are there uh, are there further questions? I have a question. Sure, go ahead, Adina. Um. So. He, like his public policy issue that he, that Ramallah would discuss was about like, right, like making people sort of feel better and like giving a zafer or whatever. But um, since um, there was an epidemiological report in Israel that like of the whatever amount of cases they studied where transmission occurred in Israel, like somewhere between 25 and 30% of them happened in a synagogue is what if if we didn't allow this zoom thing people would feel like they have to go to synagogue anyway and then this is the way that allows them to feel that they can stay home not that they're already going to be staying home and this makes them feel better i think it's a really good question that you know came up in the context of megillah where i wrote a piece um you know immediately after arguing that the initial presentation of the psaq was a mistake 
because it said shasatcha kibdiyevid dami, and that's really not that's really not what the halacha was. It wasn't that it's a bidiyevid, it really was there's this possibility that you're yodse. Not not that you're definitely yodse bidiyevid, there's just the possibility that you're yodse, and better than not, like Rav Moshe about at most like Rav Moshe about Havdalah. And I think a good response to that was, yeah, but if we had said it that way, then too many people would have too many people would have come to shul. So if we didn't tell people they were definitely yose, then we would have had right, we would have a higher we have had a higher infection rate. I think that that is a um, I think that's a real question about how you balance the how you balance the necessity for halachic nuance and the concern for damage to halacha with the immediate uh, with the immediate concern. And by the same notion, you know, I think that the language of Ka'in Minyan is really interesting because if he didn't use the word Minyan, he just said, then it wouldn't work, right? People don't want, right? That wouldn't, people would feel it was inauthentic. By saying Ka'in Minyan, right, he runs, he runs that possibility. Like, I don't know if, I don't know about how much, you know, in the Gemara's original case, how much, how much, how, how women feel about smicha on the korbanos, if in fact, you know, if, you're saying, right, if somebody were to say every, every moment, you know, this was the issue that came up with uh, women's tefillah groups, you should know that, right? Whatever you're experiencing, right, is really, is not real, right? It's just, right? We're just letting you do this to make it right because you feel like you want to experience a lot of it. All right, so Rabbi Lau has a very um, interesting response to this. Rabbi Lau says that the difference the language of halacha and the language of experience are different. And maybe, even though you can't be yotze, maybe there is a lot of value in having a religious value. In, right? The reason halacha has meaning is because halacha wants you to have this kind of experience. And now you can't have exactly the experience halacha um, has, but even if it's not recognized formally, that tells you that there is real value in it. And so there's real value in the religious experience, which halacha just doesn't recognize. That's okay. Uh, right, so I think that's I think that's a very um, I think that's a very deep question. That's one you know, and the questions that we uh, the questions coming up now, for example, in terms of uh, the Zoom header for the uh, the Zoom header for the um, for the Zoom Zoom header for um, for the Seder. So the um, right, so the obvious quest the obvious question is um, on the one hand, right, if you have a standard, right. And almost nobody thinks that almost, almost nobody thinks that there should be a uh, there should be a standard that um, that let that lets you use Zoom no matter what. Everybody thinks there has to be some kind of standard, and most people think that the standard is some kind of risk to mental health. But the problem is, and some people think, let's say Rosh Schechter seems to think that the standard is a risk to mental health, rising to the level of either suicide or at least a psychotic break. But the problem is that. Many, right, many people are in denial. Um, so Roshechter's sock, it seems to me, suggests that you require you know, a, a doctor's note and that in, uh, in psychiatric cases, that's not a very practical suggestion unless you want to have a lot of false negatives. There are lots of people who should do this who won't. Um, so the alternative, right, and the problem is, right, there are, going to be, there are going to be people who would never do it if you tell them that the only reason they can do it is because they're, they're right they're God forbid, it's risk of suicide. So the only way you can get them to do it is by saying that it's okay to do this if you'll just, right, if you think there's just a risk that you'll be seriously depressed and, and, and lack, and lack yantiv. But that, of course, will lead to the question, well, if I can violate this derabanan, let's say, for the sake of simchas yantiv, 
So what about the many other drabanas that would make my life on Yantav much right much better? And what's the difference between them? So that I think is a very serious public policy uh, consideration we have to engage in now, assuming that the right standard objectively for this is um, is simchat is simchat yamtov. There also is, you know, I think many people have pointed out that um, allowing Zoom for the seder is probably a very unrealistic model. If you think that all you're being mocked there is just allowing setting up a connection before yamtov, because Zoom connections time out, so, you know, many many things go wrong, and it's probably impractical to allow people to set up pre-existing technology, visual technology, video conferencing technology, and not and and yeah and tell and not expect them to uh, to adjust things and if it's because of of course they should adjust things so I, I don't think we've done a great job so far of producing a coherent public psaac um, and I think probably what happened was originally the psaac was put out privately and then it became too public and when it became and when it became too public the formulation that was given publicly was much more cautious than the formulation that was given privately and now we have you know confusion all around. Um, and you know, there's some issues we've handled extremely well. I can say over and over again that the, the you know the rabbinic council of Bergen County deserves enormous credit for being the Nachshon and the vanguard. Uh, frankly, when I first heard their psak, I, you know, I thought there was a possibility that it was an error, that it was, that it was a misreport, and um, turned out that it was not. And they deserve enormous credit. Now that we see how many people were infected in Israel uh, by Megillah readings, you know, wow, I wish the RCBC had, had you know, had had accomplished this earlier, but on the you know, but on the issues of technology, um, it might be that in the short term we did okay on Megillah, but we haven't come up with you know, which is just a reflection of our hundred-year failure to come up with a coherent response to electricity. Uh, you know, the Zoom is Zoom is an emerging technology, but really you know we've hand, again I think we handled bioethics well, and we have handled um, I guess the domestic technology capacities um, not well. For 100 years now, and it makes a real difference. Like, you know, whether halacha does something uh, well on the whole or does something not well. Uh, okay, uh, are there other questions? Okay, as always, you're welcome to email me uh, privately with questions um, or ask for a time to talk. And I hope that we'll get to welcome you at the at the uh, shroom for the rest of the week, and we'll. Uh, please stay tuned for notices about next week. Thank you very much.